we just trust that God's going to bless you this evening with what He has to share with us. Praise God. Well, let's pray as we prepare to get into God's Word. Father, we thank You tonight for Your grace and Your presence here of Your Spirit, and You're encouraging just by the worship tonight. Father, thank You. And now we turn to Your Word, and we thank You that Your Word is very practical. Father, Your Word is very powerful, but it's also very practical. We're learning, Lord, how to think differently because your word teaches us that we're, that we're tr changed, we're transformed by the process of renewing our mind. And Lord, we're here because we want to learn how to be different. We want to learn how to, to con conform to Christ and to he, your will for our lives and how to receive what it is you have provided for us in Christ and through the blessings that you have provided for us. And so, Father, we look to you for understanding. Your word tells us to seek understanding, and with that understanding, we will get more understanding. So that's what we ask you for tonight. We trust that's because of this Word of God and the Spirit of God to do that. So I just yield myself as best I know how to the precious Holy Spirit and allow Him to guide me what I say and what I share, Father, that your heart and your truth may be ministered to us tonight. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Well, we've been spending a number of weeks, months now actually, about renewing our mind. Whoops, that's Sunday's notes. These won't work. <laughs> Here we go. And about learning to renew our mind. And, and because the Bible teaches us that when we, were, when we came to Christ, God put His nature in us. Peter talks about we have, we've been given the divine nature. and We have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that He's given us His nature, God's own nature. But then when you understand that when you come to Christ, when we're born again, we're born again as God's children. And it's not it's normal for a child to have the father and the mother's nature in them. So God has done the same thing with us. He's put his nature in us. But then we looked at all the, a number, not all of them, some of the attributes of what that nature implies. It means a power, authority. It means peace of God. It means the wisdom of God. It means the understanding of God. It means basically God's ability, God's power, God's grace. God's, and then we took a look at what we're actually experiencing in our lives and we saw there was this difference, this big deficit. We had two columns up there on the boards, and we saw that what the Bible teaches us is that it is the process of renewing our mind that brings what's on the inside to the outside. That's what the word transform by the renewing of our mind means. And so we're in the process of learning how to do that. In the meantime, we've learned some things about what our mind, God gave us our mind to use and what its purpose is. We've learned a little bit about how the mind works. And that's very important to what we're going to begin to talk about tonight because the mind works in patterns of thoughts. And there's three concepts that are key scripture after Romans chapter 12 is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 which talks about that, that we, have our, we are involved in a spiritual warfare and that warfare has to do with your mind. The battlefield for that warfare is your mind and the battle is for your will. And both God and Satan are working to get your will. Neither of them can control it. It's up to you to exercise your will. But the, the avenue through which Satan works is our mind and our emotions and our physical body. God works primarily through the spirit man on the inside of you. And so they're weighing for it. You, you know, the old cartoons you used to see where somebody's dealing with an issue and you've got the devil on one side talking to him and an angel on the other side. Well, that's kind of cartoonish. But there's some truth to that. You've got Satan on the outside through his demonic spirits trying to influence you. And you've got God through the Holy Spirit on the inside trying to direct you. And your will decides which way you're going to go. And which way you're going to go determines what God's put on the inside, how much of that's going to show up on the outside. And it's only when that shows up on the outside that God is able to express himself in this world through us because God is a spirit and God, aside from supernatural occurrences, God doesn't just show up and say, here I am, this is what I want to tell you. He has to express himself through human beings. And so, so and, and the church is here so God can express himself into the darkness of this world. That's why we're here at such a time like this because there's a, there's a need for light to go out into that darkness and it's the light of God's love, the light of God's truth, but that's got to only go out through God's Christ's body in the earth today, and that's the church. And the reason it's not happening as much is because we're allowing the pressures of life to, to conform us, to pressure in on us, where Romans 12, 2 says not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed, and the difference is in the process of renewing our mind. 
So we've seen that the mind works in patterns of thoughts. The basic element by which your mind works is thoughts. And you cannot have more than one thought at a time. You can have many thoughts in rapid succession, but you can't have more than one thought. Another thing we learned about our mind is that it works in patterns. Some of those patterns are very logical and very rational. Some of them are very irrational, but they're still patterns. That your mind is always trying to form some reason or some understanding or some purpose out of whatever happens. This is why when some disaster happens, people get on TV and try to figure out why and what's behind all this because we have to, our mind is trying to find some kind of meaning. And we looked at this simplistic example, and I drew a very simplistic one up there, of the old children's game of connecting the dots where you buy a book and it has, you know, has, it has, you know, see what this picture is and you'll have uh, a series of numbers and they may connect the first two for you and then if you connect them in order, you'll find out that this picture is a duck or something. But if you, but if you connect them in some other order, you're not going to get what was intended to be shown. And so when your mind has a series of thoughts, it tries to connect them together to form some kind of meaning or some kind of understanding. And it pieces them together, and what it pieces together forms an image. And that image, if it stays in your mind long enough, becomes a stronghold. So we've learned these three basic principles that your mind works with. Strongholds, imagination, and thoughts. The imagined strongholds are the things that control you. It's that irrational fear that's afraid to get on an airplane even though you know it's safer to fly than drive a car and yet you can't seem to control it because there's a stronghold in there. And I've shared some of those even from my own life and how they got there. And that stronghold is made up of images and images are pictures that your mind forms out of a series of thoughts. And a good example of them is a dream. You get images in your dream they may not make any sense when you wake up, but while you're sleeping, they make perfect sense. And you, you, they can be so vivid to you that when you wake up, your body's reacting to them as if they're real. And they were real to you, but they only exist in your mind. And we learned that images only exist in your mind. And the most important thing is those images, which is like a mosaic, are made up of a series of thoughts. And so the key to renewing your mind is controlling your thoughts. So we're going to begin to learn but we may not get into it tonight, we're going to begin to learn some of those techniques. But to do that, we've learned this principle that you have to, one of the keys we learned is you have to get control of your mind in order to control your thoughts because we're going to learn how to control your thoughts because here's the process. It's very simple. In order to change the strongholds, you've got to change the image. You can't go in there and erase strongholds. The only way to get rid of a stronghold is to replace it with another stronghold and to stop feeding that stronghold. If you stop feeding it, it slowly loses its power, especially if you replace it with a right stronghold. So we're going to learn how to create strongholds in our mind that are based on God's Word. Strongholds about what God's really like. Strongholds about how God sees you. Strongholds about your future and the God's promises to you. We're going to learn how to do that. But to do that, you've got to begin to get control of the thoughts. And I'm going to take you back to the simple story I told you about in terms of thoughts. that When they come into your mind, they're like, and this is a great time of year to talk about it, your doorbell rings and you open it, and there's somebody dressed in a brown uniform with a brown truck out there. It may be Federal Express, it may be UPS, some, and they have a package for you. And what do they do? The first thing they do is they hand the package to you, and then they ask you to sign for it, and then once you've signed for it and they leave, it's now your package. In fact, the other day we came home, and they had left the package at our door, and I looked at it because we hadn't ordered anything. I said, wow, somebody sent us these big boxes. And I looked at it, it was the wrong address. And the UPS man's gone. And now we got to figure out what to do with it. Because they dropped it at our doorstep. Now it's, I felt responsible to do something with this, to find out who it was. Met one of my neighbors by doing this. But we had to track down the address. I had to drive it down there and leave it at their house. And when they didn't pick it up the next day, I had to go ring the doorbell to make sure that they knew that it was out there. Because leaving it there, now it was my responsibility, whether, even though I hadn't signed for it. And so thoughts are like that. Just because a thought comes to your mind, just as just because that UPS man rings your doorbell doesn't mean you even have to answer it. I remember sitting in the office of a law partner that I worked 
under years ago. And, and you know, I'd be in the middle of a conversation with him. We were planning something and we're really getting into it. And the phone rang. He'd just reach over and ra- answer it. And I'm saying, he didn't even know who it is. You know, he, maybe he ought to have his secretary screen the calls. And if it's not vital, he can call them back. But whenever that phone rang, his imp- impulse was to answer it. And sometimes he'd get off on some side tangent. And I'm sitting there charging some client for sitting there listening to my partner answer the phone and nothing's getting done. Just because the phone rang doesn't mean you have to answer it, you know. Just because your cell phone goes off does not mean you have to answer it. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) I see wives going like this. Because you have the responsibility of deciding what you're going to answer. You have the responsibility of deciding what thoughts you're going to get that in your mind. So that is going to be very important for us to be able to identify the thoughts before they get in. So to do that, what we're going to look at tonight is how do you do that? With a package, it's easy. I talk, you just look at the return address. And if the return address says hell, you don't want what's in the package. <laughs> because you know anything that comes from there, according to John 10.10, 10, comes to steal, to kill, or destroy. Now, if the package has the return address of heaven, oh, bring it all in. You got any more in there? Bring them all in. I want that one because I know Jesus said under John 10.10, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So what Jesus is saying there is you got to find out where it's come from to know what it's going to do. So we're going to learn tonight how do I discern where those thoughts come from. And I taught you before... Thoughts that come into your mind can come from a number of different places. They can come from God. They can come from the devil. And by the way, it's not the devil. It's one of his demons. Because none of us are that important. Because the devil can only be one place at one time. The devil talked to Jesus because he was that important. Because if he could have stopped Jesus, he stopped all the rest of us. But none of us are that important. But he uses demons to deal with us and to try to plant thoughts in our mind either directly or through some sweet brother or sister or through the internet or through all kinds of means. So one of the thought sources is they can come from Satan directly or indirectly. Another is they can come from God and God speaks to us primarily through our spirit. His spirit in you speaks to your spirit and that communication is perfect. God's Spirit communing with your spirit is perfect. The problem comes because your mind now has to understand what information your spirit has gotten and that 18 inches is where all the trouble gets because your mind has preconceived ideas, your mind has a will of what it wants to do and what it's not willing to do and all those things affect how well you're able to hear or discern what's coming to you. Another source of thought is just other people. People can just say things and that begins to play in your mind. And there was an issue a while ago where, where I had to make a very important decision and, and there were just people around me that were saying certain things and, and, and I didn't agree with them, but, but I heard them enough where they started influencing me. And I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is starting to pull me in a direction and I've got to go back and hear what God has to say about this and not just listen. That's why you've got to be careful, especially in a crisis situation, be careful who you're listening to. Be careful that they're hearing from God if you want to hear from God. You don't need to let everybody know your business, especially on Facebook, because you're going to get all kinds of ideas coming in, and you better know how to discern where they're coming from if you've opened the door to all kinds of people speaking into your life, or even speaking about your situation, or even who you've got praying for you, because they may not be praying with the right spirit. They may not be praying in faith. And if you've licensed them to pray for you and they're not coming from the right place, you may have licensed somebody to pray against what you're praying for and what you're standing for. So we need to take some responsibility of who's got involved on this team that's speaking into my life and who's praying. But you've got to be careful who you're listening to on the radio or who you're watching on television. Because even though they may be a reverend in front of their name or they may be popular and they may be all kind of best-selling books, you've got to know what spirit's in their heart. Because Ed Cole used to teach this principle. Because if you sit under somebody, you're sitting under the spirit that they operate under. And I'm not just talking about God. I mean the, the attitudes of their heart because it's contagious. So that was just a side. That was free. 
And so we've, we're going to learn tonight, how do you discern where these thoughts are coming from? Every, in, in order to understand why this is important, remember, if you don't get anything else out of this course, and you get this, you've gotten the most important thing. Every thought in your mind has a purpose. There are no such things as just meaningless, casual, idle thoughts. One of the things I used to do, and it would get me in trouble, is, is, and it was, a, it was a pastor friend of mine that helped me understand this. He said, John, the reason you're getting anxious about these things is you're letting your mind freewheel. You're just letting it run. You're just, you don't have no, any idea what you're thinking. Thoughts come in your mind, and then your mind just runs with them. And my mind can run fast, and my run can piece things together, and I can create dots and all kinds of images very quickly. It doesn't take long for my mind to do that. So I realized early on, I've got to take some control over this. I've got to exercise some discipline and control over what I'm allowing in my mind and discerning where it's coming from. And a lot of this course came from that process of learning how to do that. And so... No thought in your mind, every thought in your mind has a purpose, and its purpose is to be a dot in some image. So if it's come from Satan, the purpose is to form an image, Satan wants to form an image in your mind, which eventually becomes a stronghold, so that that image is affecting you. Remember we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, where the purposes of imaginations is to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And Satan wants to form images in you that restrict your ability to know what God's really like. That's what religion does. God is a mean taskmaster. God is angry at me. God is judgmental. God is all the... Or God is just... Oh, He's just so loving. He's just so gracious. He'll put up with anything I do. Both of those are wrong from the Scriptures. So you've got to find out what God's Word says about... Because God has given us this book to tell us what He's like. You can't find out what God's like by watching television. You can't find out what God is like by, by certainly by the media that's out there. You can't find even what God is like by religion. God, has, God who wants to reveal Himself knows how to communicate Himself. And God has given us two means by which He can communicate what He wants us to know about Him. There's no way you can fully understand God. He's too enormous for our pea brain minds to wrap around Him. But there are things about Him He wants us to know, and God has devised two ways. First of all, it is this Word. The primary purpose of this Word is for God to reveal Himself to us. Second purpose is for God to reveal to us what He's done for us in Christ, the way to Him, and then to reveal to us who He's made us to be in Christ. And then God's given us His Spirit to live in us, and that Spirit is the, His, His Spirit is the author of this book to make it come alive in us, and in order to act it out, He empowers on us and directs us in acting that out. So, the, But those images that Satan wants to put in your mind are to restrict this. Jesus said, the traditions of man, the images of man, restrict the Word of God in your life. And so... so their thoughts are coming to you to tear you down that you can't ever do anything, to intimidate you. And Satan knows each of our personalities because he studied you. He knows your personality. He knows where your weaknesses are and that's where he's going to hammer you. If you're struggling with a self-image, he's going to pound away at that and point out to you every mistake you make. And you may have made those mistakes, but what does those mistakes mean? Remember I taught you that when it comes to thoughts, it's not the thought itself. It's what you think about that thought. It's where you place that thought. Do I put that thought together with this other thought and create this connection, this image in my mind? Or do I recognize this, look, I don't know where this is coming from, so I'm just going to put it on a shelf and I'll find out later on what it is, but I'm not attaching any meaning to it yet. But you, we have that responsibility of doing that, and that's why I spend time with you showing you can learn to identify your thoughts. And one of the tools I'm going to give you is to teach you how to be able to do that. For some of, now, so for some people, you've got a terrible self-image and, and Satan pounds at that. There are others that have a great self-image. I can do all things through me, who strengthens me. And God will help when I need Him. And when, God, when I need help, God's always there to help me, but I can handle this. And see, so Satan pounds away at that thing, encouraging you, showing you how the success is. <clears throat> what he's trying to do is create in our mind something that separates us 
from God. God, on the other hand, is trying to reveal who He is and reveal what He wants, reveal who He's made us to be. He's trying to communicate to us His love. He's trying to communicate to us what grace really means. He's trying to communicate to us. So it's important to identify where is this thought coming from. So I'm going to go through some basic things to teach us that. Basic ways, and this is kind of a checklist that that you can go through. So it's important to learn the difference. So I'm going to see if we can get these up here. Ah, I found it. Whoops, I took the title out somehow. This is discerning the thoughts. The first is to judge by the Word. To judge by the Word of God. And I'll explain to you why. In John chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, it says, In the beginning, this is when all this was created, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that's a little hard for us to kind of grasp. In the beginning was the Word, because we think of words as the kinds of things I'm using to express myself right now. We think of words as kind of those three, four that are up there on, on the board right now, judged by the Word. But what is a word? Ever think about what is a word? It's an expression of something. So what's really going on inside of me right now is down in my spirit there are things stirring around. My mind is trying to pull up what is that means and then my mind, as, as the ideas come in my mind, my, my mind is trying to... This is how what a wonderful computer your mind is. My mind is going through the thousands of words in my vocabulary to find just the right one to describe what my mind sees to say. Do you ever, ever have a dream where you're trying to explain to somebody... You know, when you wake up and it's like vivid dream, and you, oh, that's so vivid, it's going to be easy. And the moment you try to find a word, what happens to the vision? It goes. Because you're, you're, you, didn't, you didn't dream it in words, you dreamt it in impressions and in images, and when your mind tries to find a word to express that image, it evaporates. Because it was something that you already have experienced, and it's gone. And so what words really are is an expression of what you see inside. And, and so if, if, if you're, right now, if you're thinking of, you know, the dinner you had before you got here or the dinner you're going to have when you get home, and I asked you what it was, you would have to tell me what it is by finding words that, that, would, that I would be able to understand. And that's part of the knack of communication. This is one of the challenges in a marriage because when I may be expressing very as clearly to me words that to me mean exactly what I'm trying to tell Anita, but those words mean something a little different to her because of either how she was raised or, or because experiences she had, that word may conjure some up, imply some different things to her than it does to me. I mean, I mean, one of, and this is not true, but one of us could have had a negative background where a, a particular word just set something off. It was used as a, as a, as a word to, to put me down as a child. And she uses that word because it was used as a positive word in her family. And, and so I'm having a reaction to what she's saying or the other way around. So words communicate more than just the bare information. It communicates an impression. It communicates all kinds of things. And I've described to people kind of the way I teach is, it's, it's as if I take a word that, that, that describes something to me and I study it out and I meditate on it and when I go to teach it, it's as if I stand inside the word and tell you what I experience inside this word. And because words are communicators. So if we go back now to John chapter 1, it makes a little more sense. In the beginning was God and with God was someone that's the full expression of Him. The full expression of His nature, His character, and His will. And then we see in the second verse that he was with God and he was God. So the second person of the Godhead is referred to as the Word of God. And then we know who it is because in John 1.14 it says, And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's the Word became flesh and became Jesus and walked among us. So we could, go, we could see him. And John, 1 John chapter 1 talks about the, the, in past times God expressed Himself through prophets and through angels, but in this time He's expressed Himself through His Son, whom we have seen and we have touched the Word of God. So we've, he, John and Peter and James, they actually touched the Word of God 
God in his full expression, which is why Jesus said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I'm the full expression of him. So, the word of God, now Jesus isn't walking among us in a physical body anymore other than through the body of Christ. But this word is his word. It is the expression of God. And so God will not tell you something that doesn't line up with this word. God's not going to tell you something. So the first thing we have to turn to is to, is to judge where something has come from is does it line up with this word. Now that does not automatically mean you're going to be able to quote scripture, you know, chapter and verse for something. But does it line up with the spirit of this word, which means it's incumbent upon us to get our face in this book and know what this book says. What does this book say? And nowadays with all the Bible softwares out there, you don't have to have a Bible software, you can Google verses. And they'll pop up faster than... I did a race with Pastor Ray one time because he was saying, I just use Google to find scriptures and I've got this sophisticated Bible software and his was faster than mine. So I've started using Google for some things. <laughs> They're out there. People use Google for all kinds of other things. Use it to look up Word, the Word of God. So we are without excuse to be able to find out what the Word of God says. But you've got to spend time in it to know the spirit of what he's saying. Not just little dribs and drabs. You've got to be able to spend time in it and allow it to speak to you because, again, the author is in you. So we judge, first of all, the first thing I look at is what does the Word of God say? God will never give you a thought that is not consistent with His Word. He will never contradict His Word because God doesn't change. God doesn't have moods. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, says, talks about God... Uh, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. In, God. in other words, God doesn't change. He doesn't have, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not two-faced. He doesn't have an, one, an, a mood one day and another mood another day. God is the same. In fact, Hebrews 13 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi says in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. So I don't care. Customs may be changing. Styles may be changing. You know, what people think is right and wrong may be changing. But God's Word doesn't change. And God doesn't change. And what God requires of us doesn't change. No matter what the times are like, no matter what people around us are doing, no matter what the whole church is doing, God's Word and His requirements does not change. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we saw the last thing he tells us to do, and we talked about this last time, is we are therefore to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, how can I take a thought captive to the obedience of Christ? When you understand that Christ is the Word and the Word is Christ, if you take every thought captive to be obedient to this Word, then you will be taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And if the, word, if the Bible tells us to do that, that means we are able to do that. Okay, so the first thing we're to look at is we're to judge, judge our thoughts. Is this consistent with the Word of God? Again, you don't have to be able to quote, you know, 1 John 3.24 or something like that. You, but, but you ought to know the spirit of it. For instance, God's not going to tell you to get rid of this wife and go get another one. Or God's not going to tell you to get rid of this husband and go, you know, I'm having so much trouble. Oh, and God brought this handsome man to me at work. Oh, God, thank you. You know what I'm struggling with. Oh, thank you, God. That has come from the pit of hell. And I'm not here, God wants to condemn anybody tonight. If you're divorced, there's no condemnation. But the Bible says God hates divorce. Because it's the breaking of a covenant. God takes marriage as a covenant and He holds us to it. Again, if you've had to be divorced, there's grace. But today, in the generation we're in right now, where the church has the same divorce rate or greater than the world has, some we've lost touch with something. We've lost touch with something and it's become convenient. Well, it's not comfortable. Things aren't working right. I've got to tell you, in 48 years of marriage, everything didn't work right all the time. 
We went through some very tough and challenging times where what kept us together was God's Word, and that was it. But I'm so glad we did because we've come through to the other side of it and it's better than it's ever been before, but it took work to get there and that required a commitment to get through that. And so, and I don't know why I'm picking on that one tonight, but there's very much a tendency right now, especially among younger Christians, to say, well, you know, our, our youngest boys, they've got many of their friends at 35 years of age were divorced, and one of them twice. We were just beginning to figure out what it is at 35. And, 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 and because things aren't working out. And, and someone was telling us the other night, their good friends, well, I don't love him anymore. I'm sure the morning she wakes up where she doesn't feel she loves me. She's smiling. <laughs> but she doesn't get up and say, well, I'm done with this. Because there's a commitment there because that's what God's Word says. Again, no condemnation if you've been divorced. God loves you. But somewhere you've got to drive the stake in and say, I'm going to do it His way. And what I'm talking about is, 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 is the church is we're ruled too much, and I'm not talking about everybody, but the church generally is ruled too much by our emotions. I don't feel this. And I don't feel God's presence. And I don't feel this. And I don't feel led to do this. And I don't feel this. There's very little in the Word of God about feelings. In fact, the one person in the Old Testament that felt something was Jacob. And he felt which son he had there and he was wrong. He thought he had, he thought he had Esau because he went by his feelings and he was deceived. So many times if you're led by your feelings, you're in Satan's realm. Because that's the realm he can control. Because our feelings are based on what's going on around us and what we think about what's going on around us. And I taught you before, feelings always come from thoughts. That means you can change your feelings. So if you don't love that turkey you're married to, guess what? You can change that. By the way, I want to just, this is a little side. I don't know of anywhere in the Bible, listen carefully, that says you have a right to be loved. Well, he doesn't love me. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have a right to expect to be loved. But what the Bible says is we're commanded to give love. It never talks about what you have a right to receive. You're commanded to give it. And I found as I give it, I get it. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> All right, let's get out of that one. All right, so, all right, what, what, okay, I'm judging by the Word, and I, you know, I, I'm not quite sure, I can't quite find the Scripture, I don't know quite what to do. Well, here's the second thing we look at. What's the fruit of this, these thoughts? By the fruit, I mean this, is this bringing me closer to God, or is this drawing me away? Is this increasing my confidence with Him, or is this... To taking my confidence away. Now, you've got to be careful with that because, well, first of all, let's start with this. And I just quoted this before. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. So one of the first questions I ask myself, what fruit is this thought likely to produce in me? Is this fruit, is this thought stealing something from me? Is it stealing my confidence? Is it stealing? I'll give you an example, and I've shared this before. There's some Sundays I come in, even some Wednesday nights, and somewhere between home and here, my mind gets bombarded with thoughts that you're not qualified to do this, you're failing in this area, you're failing in this area, you don't do this enough, you don't do that enough, you don't do this enough. And I've, I've come to recognize that if I've listened to those thoughts, by the time I get in here, I'm dragging myself in here. You know, I, I need to go get saved if I listen to that long enough. It just robs me of all my confidence until I get in here and then we begin to worship and praise and those thoughts just kind of get washed out by praise and worship. But I rec I've had it enough to realize when I start getting two or three of those thoughts, I oh, I know what this is. And I just don't pay attention to it. I just, I know what this is. 
And I remember John, hearing John Revere share this sort of thing. He used to stand in the pulpit. He said, I could hardly talk because my mind's getting hammered away by these thoughts. Who are you to be here? You know what, you, what, whatever it is, you know. You haven't done this enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. So you, you're not the only people to deal with those thoughts. Because the devil knows that if he can rob me of my confidence, then I may get up here, but I won't have the confidence to trust God to speak what His Word is. And so, but I've learned that, okay, I know what those thoughts are coming from, so I just don't pay attention to them. And if you don't pay attention to them after a while, they just go away. Because if the devil can't produce some fruit on you, he'll try some other approach, or just go try it with somebody else. So, the fruit, I look at the fruit, what, what is this doing? Is this stealing something from me? Is it stealing my confidence? Is it stealing my hope? Is it stealing my hope for the future? Or is this drawing me closer to God? Is it building my confidence before God? And so, uh, now, I want to quote a scripture. I didn't, because of this, I didn't have to put the scriptures up. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you may want to turn there, because it's just an example of, of a way to discern this. Paul's talking here, Paul has just finished in, in 1 Corinthians criticizing the church at Corinth. Basically saying, I don't know how you managed to do this. He says, but you've got somebody living in your midst, in your church, in the church, and he's living with his stepmother. And he's just not living with her. He's living with her. He's sleeping with her. And he says, how can you do that? How can you let that go? By the way, I, as I've been reading, I find the Apostle Paul got in, in, involved in people's lives. He talked about who they were hanging out with, their giving. I mean, he got right down in their lives and corrected things, and he got mad at the church at Corinth because they weren't doing it. And he says, because you haven't done it, I'm going to turn this guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul may be saved in the day of judgment. Basically, he says, I'm going to have him treated like an outsider as if he's not saved, and he'll find out what it's like to experience being outside the community of Christ so that he'll realize what's at stake, and he'll repent and get back in. When you come to 2 Corinthians, he had repented. And now Paul deals with the church and says, you've got to accept him back into the fellowship because just because you, you didn't judge him because you were mad at him, you judged him so that he would correct his sin. Now that he's corrected it, you've got to bring him back into the fellowship. And in this passage, he's teaching them the difference. And it's important because we see the difference. And this is often where people make, miss it. I'm looking at 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. I rejoice now that you were made sorrowful because you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. What Paul's saying here is, my letter brought sorrow into your life. So I'm, I'm sharing this with you because you've got to learn how to discern what kind of fruit. Because sorrow is not a fruit. Oh, sorrow. My goodness. If I'm feeling bad about something, then that means it was the devil and therefore it couldn't have been God. But there is a, there is a sorrow that we're going to see is according to the will of God. God wants us to be sorry if we've committed a sin. God wants us to be sorry if we're being rebellious. God wants us to be sorry if we've spoken harsh words to somebody and we need to repent of it. So the purpose of this kind of sorrow is to produce repentance. So you've got to be, it's not just a simple, well, it makes me feel good, so it's got to be God. It makes me feel bad, therefore it's the devil. It's not that simple. It's who's it drawing you to? And so he says this. He says, I rejoice now that I've made you sorrowful, but that you, were sor- that you were sorrowful for the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. So there is a sorrow that's God's will. It's not suffering. It's not sickness and disease. It's conviction. And here's the difference. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Both of them you don't feel very good inside. But one of them, conviction, comes from God and its purpose is to lead you to repent and to lead you back into God's presence. Condemnation comes to do just the opposite. It's to beat you down and to separate you so you have no confidence to turn back to God. Conviction is based on God's Word and that I fell short of it and that when God speaks conviction to you through the Holy Spirit, it always gives a hope. 
there's, if you just repented this, if you turn back, then this can be washed away. If you, if you confess your sin, then He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When the devil is condemning you, it may be for the same thing. He's always trying to beat you down and tell you there's no hope. There's something wrong with you because you did this. When God convicts you, it's because you did something wrong, not because there's something wrong with you. Satan's speaking at your nature, God's speaking at your behavior. You get the difference? Okay, I'm going to go on with this verse. He said, that you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss in anything. For this kind of sorrow is according to the will of God, because it produces repentance without regret. So there's no hangover from from this sorrow from the godly sorrow. Because once you've confessed it, the, re- is the purpose of it is to release you from the burden of that sin. Because sin is a burden to carry around. Especially for a con- Christian, because your heart's condemning you over it. Your heart's convicting you over it, rather. But the devil can take what you're doing wrong, and his motive is to separate you. So he's going to say things like, oh, there you go doing it again. But see, again is not in God's vocabulary. Because the Bible says if you confess it, He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all righteousness, and He throws your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. So God does when you've confessed something and you've gotten cleansed, He doesn't remember it anymore. So God's not coming back and says, you did it again. Because again ties today with what you did last year, and it's painting a picture of you. And God's not trying to paint a picture of you by His conviction. He's just trying to get you to admit it so that you can be free of it. Satan wants to weigh you down with the guilt of it and weigh you down with that guilt and pile that on top of what you did last week. Here you go doing it again. He's trying to create an image of you that there's something wrong with you and your character because then that's going to rob you of your confidence before God. Another way to look at this is when God speaks to you, even when He's convicting you, it produces faith. Because Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That includes God's correction. Because when God corrects you, what what He's telling you is, you can change. God's not going to correct you and tell you, look, you need to stop doing this when He knows you can't do that. We raised four children, and one of the things we learned is you've got to be, you've got to, when you create a standard for them and you discipline them for something, you've got to know whether what you're expecting of them is reasonable for their age and maturity. So I'm going to expect more from a 16-year-old than a 2-year-old. Because a two-year-old doesn't have the capability to do what the 16-year-old can do. And so God knows what you're capable of doing. He knows what you're able to do. So He has perfect judgment over whether you were right or wrong or not. So when He corrects you, He knows you could do something that you didn't do. So He's communicating confidence in you. Look, I know you didn't have to do that. You may, you may have think you couldn't do it, but I know you can stop that. So when God corrects you, He's communicating confidence in you. That with His help, you can change that. Because when He tells you to stop doing something, or He tells you you did something wrong, it's communicates. And the second thing is communicates love. Hebrews 12 tells us, starting in verse 5, that because God is a good Father, He corrects His children. I remember one of our children one time, and this, this, this child is, was very good. Very rarely got in trouble. But this time they talked back to their mother or something like that. So we had one of the first rules. You talk back to your mom, you're going to, you're going to meet Rodney. <laughs> Rodney was the name we had for the rod of correction. And I took this child into the bedroom and I went through the routine. I explained to him, this is the rule you broke. This is the penalty that's on the refrigerator for breaking that rule. Now, do you understand what you've done wrong? Yes, Dad, I understand what I've done wrong. And you understand what the penalty is? Yes, Dad, I understand the penalty. And the reason I'm doing this is to free you of the guilt of it. Because once you know you've experienced the price for it, you now can be free of this. And that child looked at me with tears in my eyes and said, Dad, you haven't corrected me for a while. I was wondering whether you still love me. Now I've got to spank them. <laughs> Maybe they knew what they were doing when they said that. 
I mean, that drove home to me that, that correction communicates love. That's if you correct out of a motive of what's best for the child. Most parents correct out of anger because they've embarrassed the parent. And the parent's usually mad at themselves because I know I should have done with, dealt with this earlier and I didn't do with it and now this has gotten too far and so they're going to beat the child for what they know they did wrong. You know what? The child knows that's what you're doing. On the other hand, if that child knows you're correcting them, you're spanking them or whatever discipline you're administering is because you're doing this for their benefit, they'll know there's love behind it even though they don't want to go through it right now. They'll know there's love behind it and this child knew that. And that's the same true of God. Hebrews 12 says, God corrects you as a father because He loves you and He wants to bring out of you the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It's not fun when you go through it. But, so God's motive is a correction. So we're learning to discern the fruit. So just because I'm being corrected, just because I'm being made uncomfortable, just because something's bothering me on the inside, does not mean it's the devil. It may be God's conviction. But you've got to learn the difference between conviction and condemnation. They both may feel the same until you learn to discern that very subtle difference. So the second thing is by judging the fruit of it. The third thing, and we're going to have to end with this one, The third thing is by judging the voice. Learn the difference between the Spirit's voice and the devil's voice. And again, the devil's not talking to you. He's using demons to talk to you. God's voice is soft. There's a story over in, um, in 1 Kings 19 where the prophet Elijah has... Um, has, has just come through this great victory on, Mount, uh, on, 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 on the mountain where he calls fire down out of heaven and then the queen, and he, he kills 400 of the prophets and, and the queen issues a death warrant for him and he goes in fear and runs and hides and he's having a pity party. He's hitting up in this cave feeling sorry for himself, you know, I'm the only one who's been faithful to God and this is where it's gotten me and all this thing and... And, and, and while he's in that, a thunderstorm comes, a tornado comes by, and this loud rushing wind comes by, but it says God wasn't in that. Then there's a storm comes by, and lightning comes by, and thunder comes by, but God wasn't in that. And then there's a still, small voice, and the prophet comes out, and God spoke through a still, small voice. Most of the time when God's speaking to you, it's very gentle, He's a gentleman. The Spirit of God is a gentleman. He will not make you do anything. He'll woo you. He'll draw you. And and He'll keep bringing something up to you. He'll keep bringing something up to you. You just won't feel it. Something's wrong with what I'm doing here. Something's wrong. Whereas the devil's voice is harsh. It's pounding. It's condemning. There you go again. He pushes at you. He's a bully. He wants to prod you. He wants to force you. And so his voice is often harder. And again, it's not a voice you hear up here. It's the sense you get in here. That condemning voice that I hear sometimes coming over pounds at me and pounds at me and pounds at me and comes over and over and over again. And God's gentle. He'll suggest something. He'll say something to you and then stop and see what you do with it. Then he may come back and do it again. It'll, come, it'll bubble up inside of you. So you've got to learn to discern discern the voice. Satan is noisy, he's bombarding, he's trying to bully you into something. God's promptings also lead to peace. Colossians 3.15 is a great way to discern. It said, let peace rule in your heart uh, as, an, as, an, as an umpire. King James says, daysman. That word literally means to reign. doesn't mean to reign in authority. It means to help decide which side it's on. An umpire sees a, a, a player slide into home plate and the catcher put the tag on and the umpire's got to decide whether the player's foot got there before the ball and decide whether he's safe or whether he's... An umpire decides which the truth is. And, and peace is the primary method by which the Spirit of God uses to guide us on the inside. Now, you've got to learn the difference between peace in your spirit and peace in your mind. Because there have been times my mind's gone bonkers. It's just gone crazy, and there's peace inside. And there's a time, there's a peace that you can get, because if God's been dealing with you and dealing with, and you just finally decide, look, I'm not going to do that, there's a certain relief that you get because I'm just going to do what I want to do, and that's a peace, but that's in your flesh, and it doesn't last long.
This peace is a very quiet peace inside. And these things are developed by experience. So if you've never tried this before or done this before, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to miss it. And God's patient with you. But this is how you learn. And I want to show you the last one so we can get through this. And the last one is judged by the location. And what I mean by that is where are you hearing this inside? Because Satan has to talk to your mind. God doesn't talk to your mind. He talks to your spirit. And sometimes I've had people come and say, well, you know, I don't know whether this was God or or this was the devil or this was me. And I said, well, talk to me about it. And if I can trace back a pattern of reasoning, well, I, I, I really think I'm supposed to do this because of this. God never uses because. Because God doesn't need to tell you why. He just says, do this or don't do this. God doesn't usually explain things. And He doesn't justify them. But the devil will tell you, because of this. So if my mind can go back and trace a series of rational thoughts together, that most likely wasn't God, because God speaks by an impression. He just says, don't do this, do this. He very rarely tells you why. He will very rarely say, again. He will very, you know, again. So... But what I'm listening for is, where did I sense this? Because your spirit's kind of low. The King James used to call your reins or your kidneys. They believed that the center of your soul was in your kidneys. But it's really down kind of in your, it also talks about your belly. It's not physically in your stomach, but it's your center of you. It's your heart. Whereas the, your, the, the others come through your mind. So if I can locate, wait a minute, this is something my mind has thought through. I looked at a situation and I figured out what to do. That's not God. If I see something and I get an... In fact, usually when God's speaking to you, you haven't seen anything at all. Because when you see something, remember, your mind's going to try to figure out, what do I do with it? What does this mean? Then that's either you, the devil, but it's not God. God speaks to you through these impressions. Okay. So, God speaks to you through your spirit. Satan will speak to you. And other means speak to you through your mind. You'll work on you through your mind. But the key is to learning... Is this in here? Is it quiet? Is it gentle? Is it peaceable? The Bible says that the wisdom of God is peaceable. It's not angry. God's not angry. He doesn't yell. The only time I've ever heard an audible voice, I don't ever want to hear it again. Because I was complaining to God about something. This was years ago. I was complaining about God. My wife doesn't see this and she's not doing that. And I was, I was right where I was. I'll never forget where I was. I heard as clearly as if you came up and shouted at me, That's my daughter. Yes, sir. It changed me. I don't want to hear that voice again. Usually when you hear an audible voice from God, there's a warning. There's a reason why He's speaking to you that way. And I've very rarely heard that. I don't know most people. If you're hearing voices all the time, then maybe you need to find... Most likely is not God speaking to an audible voice. He mainly speaks to you through your spirit. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It's the guide. It's the light that guides you. So we're going to have to stop right now. But those are the four, four things you can go through and kind of use as a, a checklist to try to discern. Is this God showing this to me? Are these thoughts coming from God? Or are these thoughts coming to me from the enemy? Or are these just my thoughts? Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your graciousness and your goodness. We thank you, Father, for your wisdom and your understanding. And Father, we just ask you to take the things that we've heard. Lord, some of the things we've heard, we're going to have to learn by as we do them. And we just trust your spirit in us to guide us and to lead us as we do that. And so we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.